It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. It's the fighting. Welcome, listeners, to the Extra Inch World Cup Special Number Four. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Windy. A triumphant return for Bardi. Yes. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Oi, oi. How's it going, lads? Yeah, it's good. Very good. It's pretty good. Not too bad. (laughs) Not too bad. Yesterday was uh, an interesting day, but it's, it's going okay. Why was it an interesting day? Tell us what you were doing uh, during the england Colombia match. Well, I watched the game with, um, I think it was close to 200 Colombians. And it was it was quite emotional. And I got, kind of got swept along with the, with the atmosphere and everything else. And, uh, you know, as we've got to talk about, the game was an interesting game. It could have swung either way. And just experiencing it with that many people who are that kind of passionate and get that kind of um, dramatic when, um, when stuff's happening. It's always interesting. So we had a question straight off the bat from Seamus Hart on Twitter who said, how can Bardi not support Harry Kane? Uh, this is it's a historic thing with me. There's, it's always, I've always had a problem supporting England. I think I'm too close to Tottenham and I've always had a problem supporting like Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard and these kind of guys, Wayne Rooney. Back in the day when I was a young kid and it was Lineker, Gaza, I found it very easy to support England. And then in the 90s, I started watching more football with my dad and it just became easier to support Italy, watch games with him. And I kind of fell out of love with the England team. And it's never, I've never really fallen back in love with it. But yesterday was strange when I was watching Kane take the penalties that normally I would wish with my whole body that the England player would miss, especially if they're playing a team I support. But yesterday I found myself not Kane, not Trippier, none of these guys. So when Henderson, yeah. when Henderson missed, it was like, great. I don't mind that. I can, I can enjoy that. But. I want I want England to do really well. I want Kane to win the Golden Boot, but I've I just never supported England. It's just unfortunate. It's just the way it's happened with me. I find I just find it baffling that you can't get behind them now when it's basically a Spurs Spurs team essentially. I mean, there's so many Spurs boys there, and and you, when you've got you know Kieran Trippier flying up the right wing, how can you not get behind that? It's this is the closest I've come to being softened by the England team, but you, you know me, Windy. You know how kind of stubborn You're and a stubborn stuck. man. Exactly. So this is, this is true. And um, I, my my wife is Colombian. I love got a lot of uh, Colombian friends. I love Colombia. I 
kind of like how they play football. I don't didn't like how they played it yesterday. And it, it's just been easier to support Colombia than England, which is weird. It's just a very strange way. Let's let's start off with that because you you've alluded to it. So mm-hmm. England beat Colombia on penalties. Uh, it was one all after extra time. There's so much we can say about the game and we'll say about the game. But one of the major talking points was the shit housing that Colombia basically were <laughs> the, the antics that were going on from essentially minute one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they calmed down a little bit when the referee started showing cards. Nathan, what did you what, what did you think of this? I mean. Naturally, in World Cups, you get clashes of styles, and that's that's something to expect. But how how did you feel about their shithousing throughout the game? I think there's sort of an easy comparison with Spurs here in that um, both Spurs and England are teams who have, for the last decade at least, carried this reputation of being soft, of being able to, to get out, being able to wind them up, get a reaction out of them, expose their sort of um, weak interior... And again, England, like Spurs, have proven that recently that's no longer the case and, and you can't get to them. I definitely think Colombia had that mindset of we can wind them up, we can get Deli Ali to react, we can make them doubt themselves and, and sort of infect themselves with worry. And it never really materialised. I was so impressed with how most of the England players kept their calm in amongst this absolute chaos. And Delhi in particular, who is prone to be, well, we've seen in the past that he reacts to things sometimes and he lets he lets things um, build up and build up and then he'll lash out. But he was pretty calm throughout. Um, yeah, really, really professional job and I'm sure Southgate prepared them. Bardi, were you expecting this from Colombia? Um, well, f- first of all, on the, on the shithousing, that um, England have a history of reacting to it. You've got David Beckham got sent off against Argentina. Rooney's been sent off against Portugal in key matches where the pressure's high. And England do have a history of making mistakes in big games and especially in penalties. So Colombia resorting to that tactic, it wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't a surprise because England have proven themselves to be a bit weak there. But I think the biggest problem that Colombia faced was they came into the game petrified of England. Um, I honestly think if Colombia had played how they started playing after 75 minutes, when they kind of realised they're going to lose the game here and all of a sudden they started playing, um, I think it might have been a different match. But they they entered the game, the team selection was incredibly negative from Peckerman, the approach the players took and they left Falcao so isolated that it kind of played into England's, England's hands and England took advantage of it. They stayed focused and it was only a last-minute header which forced the game into extra time. Nathan, do you agree with that? How did you feel the game went generally? Yeah, I pretty much agree with Barty there. Um, in that, yeah, they, 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 they set up simply to, to slow England down. And despite the sort of the excitement and the talent in the team, they reduced themselves to a, a, a very disruptive team that, that weren't even offering much on the counter attacks. I think it, it, it's, it's, it's fine. It's expected that Colombia would concede possession, but to, to go with three defensive midfielders essentially mm. and completely um, forget about attacking until sort of seven minutes onwards. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's kind of a, sh- a shame from a neutral perspective. A shame from a neutral perspective in a way, but it made for an interesting match and it certainly made for an interesting tactical battle. I thought Colombia's midfield, I mean, they bas- they basically stopped England playing, didn't they? they or or they, they stopped us playing the way we wanted to play. Um, I thought Barrios, who's been nicked the Spurs, we've, we've spoken about briefly before, I thought he looked good. I thought he had a solid game. 
aside from the fact that he probably should have been sent off for headbutting Henderson under the chin. Um, but he he made four tackles in that midfield area, um, 81% pass completion, which is respectable against a team um, like as good as England. Uh, he looked tidy on the ball. He he made good decisions. And I thought generally Colombia, as a unit, made good decisions. I thought, like you say, they were very defensive. They didn't they they weren't trying too many things in the in the first half in particular but they were they kept their shape well they were very solid they were very organized and in quadrado they had a player who was willing to be more expansive he made lots of long passes he switched the play quickly um i guess quintero was a little bit disappointing on the, on the night you'd expect more from him um but i i i thought colombia were impressive they they without their best player and their talisman they had to resort to plan b and i thought they did that effectively and they were as you say Quite close to quite close to getting something, and when when they did score the equaliser, I just assumed they'd go on and win it. They had all the momentum at that point. Um, they took that into the first half of extra time, and they played very well. I thought, and England showed amazing mental strength and resilience to see it through from that point, and particularly to win the penalty shootout because we know England's history with penalties. We know it's been shocking, and with Gareth Southgate at the helm, someone famous for missing a vital penalty, it just seemed set for England to to lose again. Um, but I was so impressed with the mentality and, and in particular the fact that it was the Spurs players who, who led, led by example there. It was just, it was so pleasing to see. Are there any, sorry, this is a question from LRB on Twitter. Are there any tactical or personal changes that we could make to become a better threat from open play? Nathan, we spoke about this briefly in the last podcast. What, what do you think we need to do to become more of a, a threat from open play? I mean, it's complicated. I think that we, that was sort of the main, um, tactical theme that Southgate has explored in the last year and brought with him to the tournament. Um, and it looked really good for the first 20 minutes or so against Tunisia. And then we didn't need to attack so much anymore. And we got the goals against Panama through set pieces. So we didn't need to use it there. And then Belgium, we did we even want to win? So there's all these a build up of individual reasons of why we haven't really had to attack in this game or we haven't really had to create in this game we we wanted to um and we've seen our sort of um ploy our um soft positional play model broken up by Colombia um using three defensive midfielders to mark our our free eights who um the sort of the interesting attacking component to this team. Um, so yeah, we spent this, this year developing this attacking ploy and never really got to seeing it. Now we need to work out a sort of an alternative way, which isn't something that can be sort of done before Saturday. It's not, but are there some tweaks we could make? I'm, I'm thinking, so I'm, a, lot, a lot of people are saying that Sterling needs to come out of the team. I personally wouldn't take Sterling out of the team, but I might look to play him wider for example yeah i mean that's one thing uh, as it is there is a lot of rotation between the attacking midfielders sterling does drift wide delhi does come central um, and they also all come deep and that is maybe the one thing joe would lean into is reverting to a three three four three with maybe ruben loftus cheek for either lingard or delhi if he's still suffering of injury um and and just having an extra player in build up to draw the opposition out that little bit deeper a little bit earlier. We should talk about this some more when we come on to Sweden. Um, I just want to, to talk a bit about Kane for for a few minutes because, my God, he was fantastic last night. Um, we, we know how good he is as, as Spurs fans. We know how he leads by example. 
Lots of fans have questioned why he's captain. I thought last night showed exactly why he's captain. His use of the ball, his use of his body um, when he was on the ball and off it were just exceptional and his awareness and appreciation of, of space and, and his fellow teammates are oh, just a joy to behold. Um, I did wonder whether he kind of was instructed to hold on to the ball a little longer than usual to draw fouls, knowing that we're so good at set pieces at the moment. Um, that seemed to me to be a ploy. He ended up winning a lot of free kicks in dangerous areas. But Bardi, how good was Kane? Kane was um, Kane was excellent. I mean, if you can compare him to Falcao and the different uh, the difference in the way they played, whereas Kane would it wasn't so much about creating chances. It was the ball was sticking to him, and in tough situations, he was drawing fouls and linking the play. Whereas Falcao was very um, for someone who's like praised on the way he moves off the ball. I th- I found him very static, and when he did have an opportunity in that first half of extra time with the header. I've watched that back and if that's Kane, that's a goal. That's the difference. And it's been a kind of a trend in this um, first round of 16 that the teams without the strikers have really kind of suffered. If you look at like Mexico, who um, for the first 20 minutes gave Brazil an, an incredible push, Portugal, these kind of teams, they, they don't have the firepower. And in this knockout stage, that's what you really need. And you can see with Uruguay and France, they've got a couple of great strikers. And that's what's got them over the edge. And it's, it's good for England that, um, they do have the best striker in the tournament. He was, um, he was exceptional in everything he did yesterday. Nathan, we spoke a bit previously about how Kane's role for England is slightly different to how it is for Spurs, where he was staying in the penalty box a bit more, but it didn't seem to be the case last night. What did you enjoy about Kane's performance? Yeah, on that note, it's it's difficult to know whether that is tactical in in preparation, whether it's a reaction to us being a little more direct out of need, or whether he's growing into it through fitness. I do want to touch on a point you just made a second ago, which is about captaincy. I don't want to. This is a awkward moment to bring this up because it you may be I'm taking away from Kane a little here, which I don't want to do, obviously. Um, but I just don't think that captaincy means that much. I think people get really upset or wound up and passionate about who the captain is but I think players who are people will be the people they are on the pitch regardless of who has a white band around their arm I think if Kane was stripped of the captaincy tomorrow he would still be the perfect example of a professional and a calm head and a leader and a talisman yeah I agree I agree with Nathan's point there that um, sometimes we do get a bit wrapped up on who's the captain most countries just end up giving it to the most capped player Kane isn't the captain at Tottenham, but, you know, he is. It doesn't matter that he's not wearing the armband. And similarly, I, Henderson, has, uh, his performance you could question yesterday, but his work rate and his his, his um, gusto um, can't be questioned. So I think that it's the same for him as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought Henderson had a really good game. Um, I do think Henderson was one of the few players who got a little wound up by Colombia's antics. And I think Kane is the ideal captain. And I, I, I don't get me wrong, I do agree that it doesn't mean a great deal. But the reason I think he's ideal is because he's he's a mature head. He's an old head on young shoulders. So when it comes to talking to referees, when it comes to dealing with the press, he's the absolute ideal candidate. So I think he's more captain for almost administrative reasons as, a, as opposed to anything else. Um, but, he's, he, you know, he's to say he's growing into the role is an understatement. He's He was born for it and he's, he's just wonderful. Um, but having said that, we didn't turn Colombia a great deal. And, and as good as Kane was, we didn't create a lot. And that has a lot in part to do with Davinson Sanchez's performance. 
Charlie B on Twitter said, how great was Davinson last night? What did you think of him playing on the left? Bardi, we'll start with you. What, what, you. You probably paid a lot more attention to Colombia's defensive shape because you were watching, I guess, from their perspective more. But what did you think of Davinson's performance last night? I thought he was superb. He was he was calm. He was collected. He looked good on the ball. Um, Mina is getting all the headlines because of the goals, but I find him a little bit positionally weak. So I, I often find that Sanchez is kind of having to cover him, which has, has occasionally pulled him out of position. If you watch the Senegal game, he has to make a recovery tackle because he's immediately trying to come across. He's predicting that Mina won't get there and he didn't. So on occasion, it has made him look a bit kind of, um, like a bit weak positionally, but he's had a superb tournament. And if he wasn't already at Tottenham, someone would, someone would be coming in with a, a huge bid for him. He's looked lovely. Anything you'd like to add to that, Nathan? Just that I think that because he's such a young player, having um, a good tournament, which he's he's definitely had, it will be really good for his development and his self-confidence. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that he, he at times, can look a little timid and, and like he doesn't exude confidence. But I'm not sure body language is a, a huge problem. Um, he's He's got so much ability. I think as he grows older, there are things he can develop. And, and one thing is his use of the ball. But he showed signs last night of some really intelligent passes, lots of forward passes between the lines, which was impressive. Um, but he he was really calm. Um, someone actually said to me on Twitter that he avoided marking Kane. But I watched um, uh, Jake Manton on 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 YouTube made a video of Kane's touches, and Davinson was there or thereabouts for the majority. So I don't think that was quite right. I think Davinson more than stepped up to the plate. Um, I I like Mina. I think. Uh, Mina's a good a good player, but he seems to be uh, a bit more all action, which can mm-hmm. sometimes make you wonder if it's all action because he's not quite reading the game. Yeah, I I think the Barcelona move for him personally, I think, has come too early. I think he needs a kind of like a Davidson route into a top club where he kind of learns he learns his trade in Europe first of all. Uh, he he's he signed for. Um, Barca in January, right? Yeah, so uh, yeah, from Barca to Barcelona. There are rumours that they are looking to move him on already, which is yeah. a bit surprising. He he seems to me to be a player that would look good in the Premier League. He's very physical, imposing, a, a clearly a big character. I think he'd be a good fit for Premier League football. So I would be, I, I'd be, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Premier League team take a take a part with him. I mean, if you if you look at the two centre backs Colombia have, I think you struggle to find two two better young centre-backs in world football at the moment. I think the fact that we got Davinson Sanchez is a massive, massive plus for us. He's so young and so talented. He's definitely one of the rising stars. Well, I think he he's probably, I like throwing out things. I think he's the greatest young <laughs> defender in the world right now. Oof. Wow. <laughs> Love it. Well, Love he, it. Yeah, he gets, for me, he gets in the... Possibly he pushes close to World Cup team of the year. I, you know, he's been that good in my. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We had a question from Russell Green who said, uh, Davinson Sanchez has been absolutely superb at the World Cup. How does that affect your feelings about Toby? Does it change anything for you, Bardi? Um, it doesn't change a thing. Um, in the Japan game, there was this one moment I put it on Twitter where Toby collects the ball. He's pressed. He switches onto his left foot and he just cuts out two, uh, high press, cuts out two Japanese players and swings it out to the, to the right back. The fact that Davinson is a fantastic player doesn't mean, doesn't change my opinion on Toby either. We need to keep both of them. Let's talk a little about the next match against Sweden and, and how we might approach that. Um, I guess. I, I said in the last podcast that I expected us to lose to Colombia. I was, I was feeling slightly negative, I think, after the Belgium game. Um, and I, I think I still think the match could have gone either way. But I also said that should we beat Colombia, I think we'd lose to Sweden. And the reason I said that is because Sweden are so well organised and difficult to beat, difficult to break down. Um, and and they, they've got slightly more... I don't, I don't know I'm, I'm saying this without having probably researched it. I feel like they've got more um, knockout experience than us in, in these tournaments in recent years. So I feel like they've got a bit more know-how. Um, how how are you both feeling about Sweden, Nathan? What how what do you think is going to happen in this game? Um, I think that it's fitting that the game is on Saturday at three p.m. because Sweden very much remind me of um, sort of an early twenty ten Allardyce or Pulis sides. There, they're very four four two. They're very organised. They're very defensive. I think they're definitely a lesser team than Colombia, and it's very easier to say, well, we beat you know we've we've beaten the harder team. We now we have the easy game. But I think um, Sweden are going to be so defensive. Um, it's going to be another tough test. Bardi, have you seen much of Sweden so far? I would be very concerned about playing Sweden. They um, they knocked out Italy, of course, in the playoffs for the World Cup, and they are. A horrible, horrible team to play against. They, they basically, they, Jose Mourinho would love them. They don't make many mistakes and they just rely on you making mistakes. They didn't concede a goal to Italy in 180 minutes and went through with an own goal. On, um, against Switzerland, they barely made a mistake and they got through with a deflected goal. If England score first, England will marmalize them, but, if England don't score first, I expect a really stodgy and turgid evening. And this might go to penalties as well. I just, they're just not a very interesting team at, but you have to admire how they play. They know that they're not a great team, but they, and they work really hard at it. It will be interesting to see how they go about solving the same issue that Colombia had a lot of success dealing with, which is the, the two high central midfielders for England and the, the occupation of the five verticals, whether they either, because they've been playing a 4-4-2, whether they switch to a three-man midfield, very similar to Colombia and, and just uh, sort of match across the three, or whether they stick with the 4-4-2 and go super narrow to go 4v3 in the middle and in doing so leave Young and Trippier with lots of time on the ball. If it is that, then it's about how good are Trippier and Young and, and can mm-hmm. they 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 deliver such a great ball that um, they can get around the enormous Swedish defence. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with Nathan there. They will just abandon the wings and just let England run up and down there. And, um, they will just rely on their defenders dealing with, um, dealing with balls into the box. I, I completely agree. I think that that's what the game will come down to. I think it will be, like Bardi said, uh, stodgy and turgid. Um, and, and we will resort to lots of balls into the box. And that could be a good reason to play Loftus Cheek, who's a physical presence. He's decent in the air and he's good at arriving late. So, I would be happy for us to, to make that, that switch to play Loftus Sheep, probably at the expense of Lingard, um, and, and look to get him to join Kane in the box for, for those crosses when they come in. Um, I also wouldn't mind Danny Rose playing for this one because I think we'll need someone who can get around the outside. Um, I don't see Young having a great deal of success, if I'm honest. I, I think Young's done okay in the tournament so far, but he, he's not, he's not dynamic in any way. Um, and I don't, I don't see Sweden causing us a great deal of problems down that side either. So I, I'd be happy for Rose to start this one. Rose had a, a decent cameo, didn't he, the other night? Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. Yeah, he, 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 he looks like he could be finding his stride again. Um, one, one point to mention is that Lustig of Celtic is suspended. So he, uh, that's a key player missing, which is good news. I, I've been very impressed with Gronkvist, their centre back who takes penalties. He's, he's one of these kind of haggard old pros who actually looks about 45. And seems to be a magnet for everything in the air, but uh, also kind of has has leadership qualities in general play as well. Um, I think I feel like they're quite reliant on him with Lindelof next to him. But yeah, who 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 knows? England might surprise us and, and do something completely different. And Bard, as Bardi says, an early goal could change everything. Okay, so the Tom Wedge on Twitter says, "I get that he's had a good season, but shouldn't we be starting Rashford ahead of Sterling or push Delhi forward, who I think is wasted in our formation?" What what have you made of Rashford, Bardi? Uh, he's done okay, to be honest. He's he came on, he took a penalty. I don't think he's quite lit the World Cup. Well, he hasn't lit the World Cup at, at all, to be honest. Um, so I wouldn't think I wouldn't squeeze him in. I agree with what Nathan says. Another passing option in midfield. I would probably go with what you guys said and remove Lingard. I find Lingard, Ali, and Sterling quite often, even though they're very flexible, they tend to seem to migrate quite often to the same space. So removing one of them would just, in my opinion, automatically create space. And I've liked what I've seen from Loftus-Cheek. Rashford, he remains, in my opinion, a, a good impact sub who can come on and take a penalty if needs be. Nathan, what do you make of Rashford? Uh, yeah, I, I like Rashford. I definitely like him um, as a sub. I think he has impact there. I think he's you know an exciting young player still. Looking ahead for the future, I'm glad we brought him along uh, to the Euros. I think that was a, a good decision. Um, but I, I think I mentioned in the last episode, or maybe the one before, that with Sterling, it's worth looking long term and showing continued faith in him because he is the second best player in the squad. And if we can get the performances that he's capable of out of him, and that really improves us as a team more than I think Rashford is capable of doing at the moment. It's difficult to look more long term when you're now into the quarterfinals. Um, but it's not like Sterling had a poor performance. You know, he, he made intelligent runs. He connected things together well. He, you know, he's not dropping abysmal, um, performances. So it is, he is not, he's not earned being dropped. I thought the same. I thought he did a lot of difficult things fairly well. He, I mean, he makes things look easy, which in a sense can work against him, I guess in the eyes of some fans. So he he takes the ball really well in tight spaces. He's got such quick feet. He's got reasonable awareness of, of what's around him. So he tends to get take the ball in areas where other players just wouldn't take it. 
and that opens up space for others. So he's he's doing things that aren't eye-catching necessarily, but which actually benefit the team. So I would definitely stick with Sterling for one more. Like I said, I do feel like Sterling wider could be an interesting one, particularly for this game, because I feel like there's there's going to be some space out wide, and if we can get Sterling to exploit that, that might that might benefit us. And I can see a point in the game where we end up playing Vardy and Kane up front together, and I'd quite like to see us... If Sweden are going four four two, let's match them and let's play let's play Sterling and say Rashford wide in a in a four four two and get at them and see see what see what we can do that way. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this match that's uh, coming up on Saturday? Um, the the Swedish striker Berg, he's he's quite a player. I I don't think I've seen a striker quite as. You know, he's one of those that you look at and he's terrible, but he's actually really effective. Unfortunately, he can't shoot. Um, and I, I haven't got the stats on him, but I saw, I saw something ridiculous that he's had like the most shots in the World Cup. And I, I don't even, I think he's hit the target maybe once, but he, he constantly worries me. Um, that you think he's going to score, but then he doesn't score. Um, so he's just an interesting player to watch up front for Sweden. He's kind of their Kevin Davis or Emil Heskey where he'll do the unselfish work. And, and let another player take the, uh, take the plaudits. Except they haven't got that player to take the plaudits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've got, an, they've got another player alongside him in, is it Toivonen? Toivonen. Runs and runs all day as well. So it's like, they're, they're both foils for a better striker who can then score goals. But... Exactly. There's like, they're foiling for, for nobody. It's something. Yeah, exactly. It is quite comedic to watch them play. But, um, you know, every, every, Cow, what is it? Every dog has it. Not every cow. Every dog has its place. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe this is their is their moment. But um, yeah, they've they've both been wonderfully terrible at the same time. Their danger man is Forsberg. Who yeah. I I'd heard big things about Forsberg. I hadn't seen a lot of him. I've I'd seen him a couple of times. I think he's been pretty average so far. I shouldn't be say this before we play against them, but. To me, he looks like a bit of a plodder. When he's done stuff, it's been it's been mainly through good fortune. I don't feel like he's actually shown much ability. Do you know much about Forsberg, Nathan? I, I've I've been a little more impressed um, with him than you have. I okay. I he plays out wide, sort of wideish for um, Leipzig, and and I think we've seen him. What I've seen of him, what I've realised, I don't know if this is the consensus, but he's he's more creative than I thought. He's more of a passer than I realised. He's less direct, despite playing in a very direct team. Yeah, I I I'm, I sit between both of you here on this. I don't think he's that great, but I don't think he's suited out wide. I don't think he has the physical attributes to play wide left. If I was his manager, I would move him more central. But then, of course, Sweden don't play like that. They prefer to have stronger guys in midfield. Um, I wouldn't buy. I wouldn't go out and buy him, but he remains a decent player. But he's nothing to get too scared about. Yeah, I mean, he's he's averaging less than one chance created per match in in the World Cup, so he's not someone that concerns me a great deal. But I sh- again, I shouldn't be saying this before, before we play them. <laughs> it's coming home. <laughs> you, it's it's coming home. Do you think the heat's going to have an impact as well? I mean, we're, I think we're playing in thirty plus temperatures. We we already. It looks like, I mean, we we played 120 minutes. We played a, a real energy sapping game against Colombia, which was very physical. We, there's mental fatigue in there as well. We're playing against a team who are physical in Sweden, who are very organised, who will be difficult to break down. It'll be a slow tempo because of the heat. To me, this all builds towards a game that's going to be very low scoring and might come down to a set piece, again, being the deciding factor. Would you agree with that, Barty? Yeah, I mean, 
if you're going to play in hot temperatures, it's always good to play a team from the Nordics. So you do kind of have, <laughs> you do kind of have the edge on them there. Um, I think it will have an impact, but I don't think it's quite as bad as, it's not going to be like the, where, where did Italy and England play in, in Manaus? It's not going to be that oh, kind yeah. of heat. So I, I think, I think they'll be fine. The fact that England have played 120 minutes will maybe have an impact, but I, to be honest with you, I think, I think it's okay. They had, um, nine days off there, but they only really played two group games against rather weak opposition. So England will be fine. And Nathan, before we wrap up, how do you think the game's going to go and what's your prediction? Uh, yeah, I agree with your sort of a one nil either way with the set piece assessment. Um, but what you've seen with that is that England are really well equipped for those situations. Yeah. Maybe not so much defensively. We did see, um, them concede to Mina's header, although there was a, that was a, uh, they had the keeper up. That was a really <clears throat> incredible, um, moment where they all swarmed one tiny little area. Um, but not just set pieces as well. We've seen how well, England are prepared to deal with penalty shootouts, to deal with extra time. Um, yeah, it's a very uh, tournament specialist uh, England that Southgate has gifted us. I think one thing England should be careful of now is the yellow cards are still valid, aren't they, up until this point? And I think Henderson got booked. So I think Henderson needs to be very careful because even though I'm not a huge, I'm not the biggest fan of Henderson, I think if he, if England go through and he's suspended for the next game, I think that would be severe problems for England. So I, I don't think Dyer is quite up to it at the moment. I would agree with that. Before we go, I just wanted to point, point towards one other thing, which was, um, Gareth Southgate straight over to the Colombian player who missed the penalty and consoling him. I just thought that was such a nice gesture and just summed up what a gentleman Southgate is. And, and he's coming across so incredibly well. And if things don't work out with England, I'm sure there'll be plenty of takers in the Premier League for, for Gareth Southgate. He's um, done himself no harm at all throughout this whole tournament. Seems like a really good guy. And I would urge you to check out the uh, the Twitter hashtag Gareth Southgate Wood, which is very amusing. Right, lads, I think we'll call it a night. Thank you both very much for joining me. Nathan, speak to you again soon. Yeah. And Bardi, good to have you back, mate. Nice one, Wendy. Cheers, mate. All right, you can follow Bardi at Bardi TFC, Nathan at Nathan A. Clark, and me at Windy Coys. If you want to email us, you can email us at theextrainch at thefightingcock.co.uk, or you can contact us on Twitter at theextrainch. That's it for now, and we'll be back with another World Cup special after the next it's game. The it's the fighting. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.